of bands doing interesting stuff to cult audiences. And Jack White was like, I still believe that you can do weird, interesting rock music as a pop band. Like, as a band that's going to get a song that's a soccer chant. <laughs> but this <laughs> this criticism album, like, doesn't... It's a weird... I mean, it doesn't do mo- many of the things that, like, made the White Stripes, like, a weird and wonderful band. Like, this is a very kind of one-dimensional take, I feel like, on the White Stripes. Like, Well, I think... So, it's interesting, because if you think about, you know who this is for and that's what i keep thinking about and like it does just feel like a weird pet project of like jack white's that he just wanted to do it it charted but it didn't stay in the charts very long and and so it's like okay so i'm just like i'm curious like who, who is this rec- you know if 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 sales of physical media are generally down i know that you know vinyls on the on you know is is, is risen or whatever and streaming is taking over like who's it for and it feels like it's for it's for jack white it's for him. Anyways, hi. It's Money for Nothing. I'm Saxon Baird with Sam Backer. We're the podcast about music and capitalism. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking greatest hits albums because, uh, yeah, we're talking why they were a thing, what happened to them, why they have, I don't want to say come back, but like sort of blipped up on our radar recently. In doing that, we're also thinking about the album itself and like the relevance of the long player like as we know it could be on the wane i think it is on the wane or possibly becoming like less relevant there was a big uh twitter scuffle on on music twitter pre uh maga chud coup uh where i saw a lot of people discussing a, a small little interview with new york times music editor john carmonica who uh called the album simply a data dump now and uh also admitted on a recent uh podcast 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 episode that he uh, struggled to listen to albums this year and was like just wondering out loud about the utility of them. We we thought that like the 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 White Stripes uh, greatest hits album coming out and Spoon's greatest hits album coming out last year and then just the idea of the greatest hits album would like kind of lead us to be thinking about these kind of things. Yeah, so I mean like greatest hits albums are funny, right? Like I got really interested in, in this topic because like again the because of of, of Spotify because of. Uh, like the playlistification of all things, it felt like the question that, that Sex was asking, like, uh, why is there a White Stripes Grace Hits album? And partly it's because, like, it was released right before Christmas, and I'm sure it's on vinyl, and I'm sure a lot of 13 year olds got a, like, White Stripes Greatest Hits album, three LP candy colored vinyl set. Like, I'm sure that exists. 13 um, year olds? Give me a break. You mean, like, 38 year olds from their wife? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, like, you got to remember, like, who's giving the present, man? Thirteen-year-olds are getting it from their uncle. No, the no, wife. Thirteen-year-old. <laughs> no, getting... no, thirteen-year-old is buying it for no, dad. No, no, no. I think it's. I think dad. Dad is thirteen-year-old like, does not give a like fuck a... about the white no, stripes. No, no, of course not. I'm not saying the thirteen-year-old is listening to this album. I'm saying thirteen-year-old is receiving it from their aunt. Oh, right. Stopped all of that click clocking, tick tocking. Check out a real rock band. Yeah, right. Gotcha. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah back when rock was real. Back when rock. <laughs> But I also think that, like, you were saying, like, it's for Jack White. And I think because Jack White decided that, like, the White Stripes were the kind of band that deserved a Greatest Hits album. And, like, it's interesting because it's, right, they were like, this is a substantive body of work. The Rolling Stones have uh, seven Greatest Hits albums. (laughs) Why don't the White Stripes have a single one? And, no, and, and it's interesting. It made us kind of think about, like, what, if the Greatest Hits album is so dead that making one is now 
in this year of our Lord 2021, making what is now weird and like a Jack White level statement. This is a man who once got married in an Amazonian river in which black and white waters mixed. Um, like he's a statementy guy. And if like it's a Jack White level statement to release a greatest hits album, that meant that like, with the exception of like turning out yet another Elvis greatest hits album for just like pure um, like holiday buying, it, it means that this I feel like it's a marker of really the the end of this as a like legitimate part of like the musical ecosystem, and that kind of led us to think about like well what like we said like what was the greatest hits album as a part of the musical ecosystem because it was a really important one for a really long time and if you look at like the list of the biggest selling albums highest selling albums of all time a shocking number of them are greatest hits albums and i think even more impressively if you look at a number of incredibly famous artists their greatest hits are their best selling album like by far Tom Petty's greatest best-selling album is not Damn the Torpedoes, it's not Wildflowers, it's not Full Moon Fever, it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' greatest hits. Um, and that's true for a lot of bands, which means that this was an important part of how people understood their music and how people understood their careers and um, is just like a, in, in, in ways, like, like you said, it kind of gets at what the album is because this is both a artistic thing it's an aesthetic experience to throw an album on it's an aesthetic experience to have this be the gateway to understand or be introduced to a musician's career but at the same time it's a fully a business proposition because and it's really important to remember greatest hits albums are content for which labels have already paid they've released these tracks before they've paid for their recording it's basically free. And so put it together and sell it right back to you. Sell it again, baby. And especially given, um, and we'll talk about this more later, but like especially given the kind of importance of format changes to the record industry, greatest hits albums were incredibly useful because like you've got all the birds on CD, but do you have the birds on, sorry, you've got all the birds on LP, but do you have the birds on CD? You're not going to buy every bird's album on CD, but you're going to buy this best of and then you're gonna buy a two cd best of and then you're gonna buy a four cd best of with extra bits and uh and then oh look at this box set coming out of b-sides and like outtakes yeah i would buy a bird's outtakes album i would buy that i am the market for that proud to admit it you just want to hear you just want to clarence hear, white uh, baby i just want to hear clarence white shred you just want to hear and you want to hear him shred and then take a long toke of a skinny J real close to that microphone. Well, that's how you know they're good mics, man. You can hear, you can really hear the yeah, that, <laughs> all solid yeah. state. Yeah. The sizzle of the weed. Right, 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 right. That, that, that great weed they were smoking back in the 60s. Uh, yeah. No, but I th- I, it's interesting, too, because I feel like the, I mean, I just can't get away from this White Stripes Greatest Hits uh, album because if we think about also nostalgia, which I think is obviously at play here in many ways the greatest hits album really went against the idea of the capital a album as a singular work of art which is like how we really rate and review albums today and you know it's funny because we've kind of bestowed this sort of sanctity on like the idea of the long player which is kind of why people were getting mad at like john carmonica for what he was saying but it, but this return of the greatest hits albums, just thinking out loud here, <laughs> now seems to be shoveled into that sort of sanctity of the album, 
Whereas like, say like 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't necessarily like it was, it was uh, a faux pas amongst music geekdom to be buying a like greatest hits album. You kind of had to like keep it on the DL or like not tell anybody or, you know, you really had to go and dive into each album and hear every single song to really truly understand a band, which also just once again brings me back to, you know, who was the greatest album or the greatest hits album or the best of really for. And I think, it, I think it's important to, to think about it as, you know, it really wasn't for the music geeks. And even though they're the ones oftentimes controlling the narrative, it was for, you know, the casual music listener. I think that one of the weirdest best ofs or greatest hits albums is there's a sublime greatest hits album, which is, <laughs> which is just, which is just really strange for it's just uh, reasons I probably, and then the entirety of their self-titled third album. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, basically, right. I mean, it's like, uh, and like here it's like bad fish live is like the last, you know, and stuff like that. But is there any uh, room on that bad boy? No, 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 no. It came out shortly after, uh, actually, it only came out like three or four years, I think. I could be wrong, but three or four years after Bradley died and the self-titled was was released. But anyways, the only reason why I bring it up is because I remember, you know, coming back to visit, you know, home or whatever. I was like, you know, went back home and I, and I went got in my mom's car and she had the Sublime Greatest Hits album. And I was like, I didn't even, I was like, they have a Greatest Hits album? What's going on here? And and but and so I'm saying the greatest hits albums like people like my mom like my mom's not gonna dive into the discography of Sublime, and maybe she would but you know what I mean she's like she just wants like she wants what I got you know what I mean that's what she wants to listen to, and I, that's what the majority I mean, all of America that's all of America wants is yeah what exactly I got. yeah and then sometimes Santa right Maria. exactly exactly and so it, you know it's just it's just really you know it's just really interesting to 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 think about that also like that, that divide between the sort of the music geeks who once at one time ridiculed the greatest hits album and, and how that disconnected that is from the actual average music listener and how much utility the greatest hits album had, not just for like calling together the singles, but also helping the music industry make money again off the stuff they already paid for, as you mentioned, but as, and something else we, we, we want to talk about, it also sometimes actually helped the artist's career. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I mean, I do think it's important to remember that, like, like I remember buying, like, Greatest Hits albums because it's like, I don't, you know, in, in a condition, in the now unthinkable condition of musical scarcity, I had 15 bucks and I could buy one, I don't know, Echo and the Bunnymen album, which is going to have some good tracks and I know some not good tracks, or I could buy Greatest Hits and get, like, a sense of, like, what Echo and the Bunnymen or the Brian Jonestown Massacre or... um a band like that, uh, I'm trying to think of another greatest hit, Blur, like what those bands sounded like. Brian Jonestown Massacre's greatest hits album is called Tepid Peppermint Wonderland, which is a wonderful title for a greatest hits album. I see, I'm, 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 against, I'm against greatest hits albums having titles. I think they just need to be like best of ellipses and then band. Uh, but no, but I think just maybe like going back a little bit before we get too far into it, you made an interesting statement to me the other day when we were talking about recording this episode about how if you go back to the origins of the album which i think is important that we need to do right now before we move forward with the idea of the greatest hits it really kind of the origins of the album kind of were originally just greatest hit greatest hits yeah. albums yeah, yeah yeah so i mean it's really interesting so greatest hits albums predate like the album as album as best as i can tell the first greatest hits album is uh, 
Johnny Mathis's Greatest Hits, um, which was a collection of Johnny Mathis singles um, that had been hits and was actually his first album, <laughs> I believe. I gave that a spin, and it is a weird, it is a, <laughs> it is a weird music. It's like, I don't know whether it's just like the cultural perspective, but like all of that like 50s pop, it's got like that blue velvet haunted vibe now. It's like, this is too smooth, something ominous must be happening here. And so I did a little bit of digging, and, and someone can probably at me, but like, trying to think about when albums became like the idea of the album as a statement rather than the album as like a fast session well yeah so just, so just to be clear before we jump into that just to be clear i mean before we had the idea of like the you know album as a capital a album you know unified work of art albums were essentially a compilation of singles and you could look at early beatles early blues records early rock and roll records like the idea of the album is like a relatively new sort of like 60 year old thing when it comes to like an actual like fully thought out like sequence piece of art it was essentially just a compilation of like 45s and singles as far as i understood single sales were super important the most important songs went on singles singles determined radio play singles determined the charts albums they made more money off of but this is also a period of time where a disposable income is much lower there are 45 players you can't play an lp in a jukebox which is an important way for people to hear music in public settings um so yeah in general singles are much more important and there isn't this mythos of like the album as a complete work of art there are a couple right like charlie parker with strings is like a 1950 record that is the idea of of a structured album like oral experience but that was the exception and not the rule um, and I think you bring up an interesting point, if I could just like put a little wedge into this here and maybe stick with it a little bit, is that Charlie Parker is jazz. And so oftentimes when we think about the album as a capital A album work of art, like we are there, it's a very rockist pop, not even pop, I say just rockist, like I think view, because I mean, I don't want to veer off, but I'll just add like, you know, you look at Jamaican music, popular music, in the, you know, from like the 60s onward, the album is actually not sanctified in the way that we sanctify it like in the united states when it comes to like rock and like similar to jazz as you were kind of mentioning to me before the show well i mean yeah there are definitely some jazz um albums that are like albums but also a lot of times you had a great miles davis like i like uh comment to me about i mean a lot of times jazz is also the quality it's all about the quality of the musicianship so you'd get a band into a, a studio and they'd record 12 songs and they'd do two takes of every song and then you'd pick the good ones and that's the album and if you record a lot of them i mean there's like i'm gonna mess this up but it's like there's like four classic miles davis quintet albums all of which are some of the best jazz ever made it's like and I, my, my understanding is it was like that was one session they went in for like three days they cut like 40 tracks and they just like doled them out as albums which is interesting because like i feel like when we want to sanctify album listening like you said, it's a very raucous take. It's a very idea that like the band is going to produce this thing and that thing is the final product where some of the, the really, really crown jewels of like jazz as, you know, of crown jewels of jazz, right? Are, those are albums, but they're like, you know, they, but they're, they're kind of shoved together. I mean, they're not a singles music at all. Like those are not singles. They're like, you know, six to eight minute songs, but they're not like, 
they didn't go in with an idea of like this is the cooking album and it's really we're gonna start with the flavor profile and then like this song's the garlic going in and you know it's not like they're just like over oh, these are the songs we've yes yeah, it's, it's yeah it's not that thought out right exactly i think that, that maybe there's a, there's a certain approach or a certain like theme that, that they're obviously building upon even but like even that there's so much improvisation going on in the moment i mean it's weird like if you think of miles in particular if you want to look at someone who is both very much an albums artist but also really push it against the idea of the yeah. album as a settled thing yeah his career is fascinating because he goes through long periods of time where you know the band has moved on but they haven't gotten together in a studio so they're releasing new albums that are you know bits and pieces of recording sessions or jams that happened years earlier and sometimes they come out of order so if like you want to understand like miles davis's aesthetic progression sometimes it's like oh yeah the, you know this album was wild and electric and then this next album actually was recorded four years earlier half of it and and like they've kind of put it together but it's got a really cool cover and it looks like an album and so, and you know it it is it is an album in that you can buy but it. But in a weird, it's like a compilation yeah. album, or or Almost that that it's not approaching the album in like a post Sergeant Pepper way. And I mean, I think that's the real text here. The critical change is yeah. Like when when do we get to the point where we start thinking about this? Because because the the put the, the 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 sort of rock purist or like music purist push against the idea of the greatest hits album comes out of the idea of the album as a work of art which really kind of as you're about to say like as far as i'm aware generally is considered to begin with sergeant pepper yeah and it's funny it's, this is one of those things where you're like you got to think back about like the narrative because i mean some of those like highway 61 revisited right that's an album like in that it's like a specific set of recordings with a specific band with a specific seeming structure though again it's hard to know whether i'm imposing that on it or whether it has that integrally um, but I mean, my understanding is certainly in the retroactive, like narrative. Of no, this good thing, point. It's, there are, you know, Beatles albums before Sgt. Pepper's clearly like, you know, they, they fought about Rubber Soul having different track listings in, uh, the U S and the UK, the U S being a significantly better track listing in anyone, any right thinking person's, uh, estimation. <laughs> And I believe the Revolver is the first one that doesn't have different UK, US editions. So they're already, the Beatles are thinking about this as a single work of art. But yeah, Sgt. Pepper's is the one where it's really like, now the album is the idea of the standalone work of art. And and, and uh, there's a really wonderful... So the, while the Beatles were also really thinking about this, and obviously we're thinking about this when approaching Sgt. Pepper, it was really like the music reviewers the music journalists i think that were started perpetuating this idea and reviewing albums as like a collective like work of yeah. art yeah i mean I, I think there's a couple of different things i think i think as always the, the 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 there's reviewers and the critical apparatus and then linked to it there's the record companies right record companies that are making yeah. a push in a kind of uncertain market where it's not clear what this new rock and roll thing is going to look like and how it's going to function in society especially amidst like the wild tumultuous changes of the 60s and like the, the economic yeah i mean sergeant yeah. pepper is 67 i mean think about like what had just happened in seven years like you know 59 to like you know 60 to, or 59 to 67 so much changed in music yeah and, and so i mean i think i think that there's kind of an agreement right that my sense is that rock critics are looking to validate this music there's there's a worry right that this is pop this is teeny bopper music this is disposable trash 
for kids and that the cultural the cultural importance being put on rock music by the 60s generation leaves us as a generation almost open to a cultural critique that they are investing a lot of time and energy in disposable trash so i think that from rock critics who take the music and the culture around it very seriously there's a look to try to shore up the aesthetic validity aesthetic value of rock music and in some ways i think that 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 the sanctification of the album is a way to do that right if you think about like what an album is it's about the length of a symphony right which is the kind of the high art musical form prestigious highest form of classical music like don't at me string quartet fans <laughs> that's the third attempt in that joke ladies and gentlemen and we feel like we landed it <laughs> all for the sake of a, of a classical music joke uh no but <laughs> just to you know performatively showcase our intelligence and that we do listen to symphonies in our off time anyways moving no on. i mean there's no symphony that i feel like if i didn't have the technological ability to edit i wouldn't edit out some of that i mean like the second damn <laughs> Yo, that third movement in like Mahler's fifth uh, about no, it's okay. I really just I skip it. I just fast forward through it. Anyway, okay. I fast forward. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, if you think about these critics, right? They're trying to validate this music, and one of the ways that they do that, instead of like the Lester Bangs approach of like validating it on its own terms or attempting uh, like an internal aesthetic validation that like rock music is good because it's rock music and rock music is good. There's a move to say that like rock music is good because it's able to do things on the scale and scope and with the conceptual complexity of classical music. This is like the Moody Blues album is like important. Like, look, it's a rock band playing with a symphony orchestra. So that's one side, right? And then the other side is that from the record company perspective, um, and, and I'm pulling a lot of this from a really wonderful episode of Hit Parade called The War Against Singles, which I encourage everyone to go and check out and listen to because it really uh in terms of a podcast that helped explain a lot of stuff about the music industry to me that episode of that podcast is one i keep returning to and basically right that there's a higher profit margin on on you're in an album you are getting people to buy more music that people are not gonna buy Which you could then price for higher you can price for higher but more than that right let's say there's a huge hits album right let's say michael jack you know thriller right you're going to buy, what, max? Like, even a big... If you're just a, a casual fan, you're going to buy three singles. So that's six songs. But an album has 12 songs. So if you buy the album, you're buying twice as much music as, like, maybe you buy four singles. But, like, I don't can't think of that many albums. There are very few albums that produce four singles. But there are albums that produce a couple singles, and that's enough to get people to buy the whole album, and then they've bought more stuff. So there's a consensus that develops between critics who want to validate art as an artistic rock as an artistic form and record companies that want to sell more music. Yeah. Yeah. And then people kind of just as far as I can tell, kind of accept it as like, ah, it's the natural order of things. Music has always come in the form of albums and albums. They are good. Serious people listen to albums. So we should dive in to some test cases, I think, to really kind of showcase the various aspects and workings of the greatest hits album and how they can like, you know, change an artist's career or how they work or how they didn't work. But I think before we get there, I think it's so interesting. There's a there's a lamenting of the loss of the album, but there's also was like a little bit of a lamenting of the loss of the greatest hits album, which I thought was like really kind of like interesting. And I think this all really speaks 
less to the sort of you know getting older nostalgicness of uh, aging rock critics and more to the transformation of technologies, which goes back to the original question, and maybe we really can't answer it, but you know, what is the greatest hits album in 2020? What is this White Stripes like greatest hits album for 2020? Because it doesn't serve any of those purposes, I don't think anymore. This really reminds me of our conversation with Kyle Devine um, and the way that he kind of articulated a critique of certain aspects of vinyl nostalgia, which is that there's often this vision that like vinyl is a realer, more pure musical form. And he kind of points out that it is, it's plastic. It's made from oil, just like CDs. And that while it's fine to have like a nostalgic attachment to the kinds of social meanings and registers of social uses that surround certain kinds of past technologies of certain kinds of past social um, contexts and social organizations that it's important to not like valorize them as somehow unproblematic or somehow like, you know, like a pure good in the past. And, and I feel like the, the, the nostalgia for the, the, the newfound nostalgia for the previously criticized greatest hits album is, is in some ways a nostalgia for the overall experience of music of the past. And I actually think that's not necessarily a bad thing or even like a regressive thing, because I do think that it, that there's something in that there's certain kinds of meanings embedded in life worlds that people inhabit and that it's important to remember like as we move as time changes and as we like there is loss associated with that and it's interesting to see like okay but like actually what do you miss about greatest hits albums like what were the elements of that social construction of music that were valuable and not how can we save those because those were attached to a specific world that doesn't exist anymore but like what were the good parts and how can you look to find those good parts in whatever's coming next yeah stephen thomas Erlewine, i believe is how he says it who is basically wrote every single review on all music i don't know how he what got a job also like yeah. every single greatest hits review i read in preparing for this episode was written by him as far as i can tell he specializes in greatest hits reviews which is like again like what a job yeah i mean if anybody has probably shaped my musical taste uh more than anything else it's definitely him because i i, I was like a big fan of all music growing up trying to like search and understand the discographies of various artists but he wrote a really great uh op-ed a couple years ago lamenting the loss of the greatest hits uh in pitchfork which i can go ahead and link to in the show description but he kind of speaks to this as well where he says you know a released album whether it arrives via vinyl cassette cd or mp3 is something that can be passed along or excerpted but it will always exist as a common point of reference playlists as wonderful as they are are not a substitute for the official compilation they exist in their own walled gardens and even if they're shared they're subject to the whims of the users and the licenses there's no guarantee that the playlist turn in january will be the same heard in july when we lose commonality we start to lose the vernacular that makes pop music in all its forms a shared experience and i think that's really interesting and you know there is obviously like sort of an irony here in the fact that uh thinking about shared experience when it comes to greatest hits albums and how that works. But as we will showcase in the second half of the show, there are albums which, you know, really made artists and going back to the idea of who the greatest hits albums were originally for and giving a, the, the sort of little story about my mom buying the, the, the sublime record. I think, I think that possibly with some artists as we will showcase the greatest hits albums and the sequence of that greatest hits albums and the songs that are on it is actually a more common point of reference for all the people who are like listening to music and not just like music geeks. And so therefore I like this idea that 
that he presents about the shared experience and the sort of commonality that, you know, you, you might be somebody who bought just the Echo and the Bunnymen greatest hits and only know a few songs. And I might be somebody who absolutely adores and loves their first five albums. This is true. The but whole we can at least find five? some sort of, yeah, I'm, huge, I'm one of my favorite bands. But we can go ahead and still find commonality on like a few singles and enjoy it and like, you know. But I don't know, I thought it was just an interesting point. But in the second half of the show, let's dive into some records. Uh, should I say greatest hits records, <laughs> albums, compilations, best ofs, however you want to put, put them, to uh, further ex- uh, explore some of the, uh, the uh, ideas that we've been talking about. Uh, here comes the music. Saxon, what's your favorite greatest hits? Steely Dan's Gold. Ooh, ooh, what's that like? I have a me- I have a memory when I was eight, driving through the desert of Arizona with my family and my stepfather being absolutely obsessed with that record for some reason. I mean, he, I guess probably because they had all the hits. That's why he didn't want to dive into Steely Dan. And uh, yeah, I know every song on that record and. It's strange and weird and lovely as, as as Steely Dan are. Now, I have since dived in and found other great albums and tracks off of other Steely Dan albums that weren't on that. But I, 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 I think that when I used to bartend and I would close up at the bar and I needed something to like get me through those uh, in the wee hours of closing up, I put on Steely Dan's Greatest Hits. Or, sorry, Steely Dan's Gold, as it's called. So yeah, diving into some uh, greatest hits albums, I th- the 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 biggest selling album of all time goes back and is forth. Goes back and forth. Arguably, is, one of the two. One of the two. Okay, it goes back and forth. But albums. one of the one of the biggest selling albums of all time. One of the biggest selling albums of all time, though, is a greatest hits album by the Eagles, and and really. It's the only kind of real Eagles that I know. <laughs> I definitely grew up listening to that. But it's interesting because if you actually dive into this, uh, if you dive into this record, it really kind of helped shape and f- give focus to the band and kind of make them what we know of them now and also made them and the record company a shit ton of money. I mean, so so actually, like, before even before we get too much into the Eagles, I've got, like, a broad taxonomy of greatest hits albums uh, okay. i had a very weird experience of like prepping for this by listening to a lot of greatest hits album which i have to admit is like not the most onerous musical prep because i'm like oh all these songs are good what an unusual yeah, experience yeah, yeah. yeah um so i would guess like it's like um really broadly it's like three big categories i see one oh, yeah is, i love this yeah one, yeah one let's let's, let's, the, let's that let's yeah let's dive into because there's different types of greatest hits albums. So let's like dive in, you know, loosely to the, the different kinds. Okay. So the first is like a, like a, we released five or six albums. Like it's a mid career sum up, which especially yeah. was big in the seventies where it's like, this band is transitioning to a new phase. And so we're releasing a greatest hits album of the first five albums. 
especially this is makes a lot of sense in a period of time where like bands released a lot of records they released like a record a year you know two records every 18 months um which is not at all uncommon in the 60s and 70s and so like you could have like five records in three years <laughs> yeah without, you know all of Creedence Clearwater's career is like three and a half years um and so like this like mid-career sum up is one one is like the in some ways the next one is is kind of like the the classic greatest hits album which is like towards the tail end the end of their hit making looking back on a large set of chart topping successes and then and maybe like throwing in like a new song recorded like at the very end or something yeah 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 sometimes depending that's and that really depends whether or not they do that really depends on was this a 80s era greatest hits looking back so is this billy joel's greatest hits volume two or is this madonna's greatest hits in the cd era because of like we talked about the length of cds they tended to throw on a track or two at the end often because then those songs could potentially chart probably because like people are buying a lot of the greatest hits whereas in vinyl where space is scarcer um they tended not to throw on new tracks at the end of greatest hits albums interesting and then the third one I would say is I'd call it like a career argument or introduction where it's like yeah. this is the often like the breakout album for a band or like they've got a weird recording history and like this is the album. Those often could function. Is this like the same as like these are basically the only songs you really need for this band? steve miller um yeah no but but also like but oftentimes these were like these are bands that don't have big greatest hits albums that didn't have hits like the misfits greatest hits volume one right is the album right like i think that came in like by law everyone who went to hot topic had to purchase the misfits greatest hits volume one um it was new york state legislation passed in 2000 repealed in 2002 yeah right right right. But, but but that also brings up another interesting thing though is that i think is also the greatest hits albums can also be a vehicle for the single, which or the comp, you know, putting together, put like dropping singles on it, you know, throughout that maybe weren't on any kind of album. And that's so especially you kind of have easier access to that song, as we were talking about earlier, the sing- when the sing- when singles really waned and became less of a thing. And that's I think especially important for British bands, where single individual single releases are more important in England, and a lot of times bands that are then trying to break into America needed a tool. Yeah. So like this, you've got like uh, Depeche Mode eighty one to eighty five. Right. Which is a really good comp. Or like that squeeze, like forty five singles forty fives and under. Yeah, no, that, that record that yeah, that record is, is, is great. I I've I, I can I can argue that you can get that in like one of their full lengths and you pretty much have every, all the squeeze you one need. One of my favorite of this category actually, and we can talk about this more, is the super bizarre Hat Full of Hollows by the Smiths, which is before their greatest <laughs> yeah. hits was a greatest hits album except that instead of being the original versions of the greatest hits it's almost all bbc live versions of the greatest hits so it's sort of a live album and sort of a greatest hits album but also was like probably if you wanted to know what the Smiths sounded like in what like 84 when it was released or 83 like probably that's the album to buy which is an interesting compilation because once again like that kind of it doesn't really work as like a great i mean it, it's kind it's not really a greatest hits it's more like a compilation of like b-sides or alternate takes in a lot of ways yeah but it also has like all of the big songs but also like different takes from them as well which kind of, yeah. it's almost it's almost like a peel session kind of like vibe going yeah 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 so maybe that doesn't that's one of the this is where you get into the questionable like is this a greatest hits is this not 
Okay, so uh, so circling back around to, to the Eagles, we really got to talk about the Eagles here. Uh, <laughs> where would you where would you put like that greatest? So hits? I would say that's that's the like mid career sum up. Just generally, the Eagles are fascinating because like as a band, they I feel like are better at they have profited more from musical categories and summer like summaries and in some ways like building off of the success of this album where rock music is changing really quickly in the late 60s to early 70s in in particular like the weirdness of kind of country rock and like country rock and folk rock and the Laurel Canyon stuff starting off as part of like or adjacent to LA 60sdom and then by the middle of the decade being pop music and so I think that one of the things that this album does is it takes a career that's kind of confusing like is it are they a country rock band are they a slick pop band are they like what is their vibe in general and it's also a band that didn't have that many hits um off a couple albums and kind of said like no (laughs) they are a smooth sailing like classic pop rock like with a little sprinkle of folk in there like that first i'm like take it easy has like a a ripping banjo solo on it but like we don't think of them as like sweethearts of the rodeo like a country rock band because in some ways this album i think makes this really clear argument restructures their entire career and makes a clear argument for them as this like smooth california pop rock band with country like touches and in some ways makes a like a an aesthetic solidity like an organic whole out of a career that really is like i said kind of all over the place and it sells like a bajillion copies and leads directly you can't escape it you can't escape it from like classic rock radio and i i can't speak for like younger generations but i feel like everybody knows the lyrics to have not that entire greatest hits just by osmosis by at least like one or two of the songs well and, i mean and that's the other thing when i when i say like it really makes their career it makes their career and i think it makes their career in more ways than one but because i think that because there's a clear narrative for who the eagles are and then this is followed by hotel california which is like their biggest selling album album right. um there's this amazing line in uh the Eagles documentary, the first part of the Eagles documentary at the end where they go like, why are you still popular? And they kind of go like, well, it was kind of weird. Like we broke up just when classic rock as a radio format emerged. And so they never stopped playing our songs on the radio. Like if we had broken up five years earlier, uh, we would have like stopped being played on pop radio. And then there wasn't class like maybe FM. So radio. then everybody went out and like bought the greatest hits. Yeah, if they hadn't Basically, already had it, they classic didn't rock had it. radio serves as a like a direct channel to the Eagles' greatest hits, and the Eagles' greatest hits serves as a yeah. direct channel to classic rock radio. Like I feel like they almost like developed in this like tight knit symbiosis, and and I feel like this is like something that that like a lot of bands with this kind of like mid career sum up move did right. Um, so. I think another interesting greatest hits album to look at that really crystallizes an artist's career, but actually, in a way, it kind of changes the way in which a lot of people might approach or have viewed the artist, or maybe how the artist and his own intent with his music and the message that he was trying to express is Bob Marley's legend. 
And so, you know, Marley actually wasn't that big of a seller when he was alive. His best-selling album was uh, Exodus, and it moved, uh, from what I've read, 650,000 units and, like, fewer than 200,000 in the UK, which, you know, are good numbers, but that says, like, best-selling. And when we think about, you know, the ubiquity of, like, Bob Marley right now, it's kind of, you know, strange to think about that. And essentially, like, the the story behind Legend is is pretty interesting. You know, Chris Blackwell, who ran Island Records, brought on Dave Robinson, who uh, was a co-founder of Stiff Records, which is probably most famous for, like, like Nick Lowe and, like, Elvis Costello, and uh, to help make a compilation of, of Marley's work. And they actually had competing views where, like, Black, Blackwell always, you know, viewed Marley as this sort of, like, militant, you know, I guess uh, anti-West, anti-maybe, I don't want to say capitalist. Anti-imperialist. But, you know, anti-imperialist artist, which he was. But, uh, you know, Robinson apparently like balked at that idea and was trying to, his vision was legend was like, how do we sell him? And this is a quote directly. Robinson says, uh, my vision of Bob from a marketing point of view was to sell him to the white world. So he's like, so, you know, <laughs> straight up states it. And to do that, he basically muted the militant Rastafarian side as much as he possibly could of Marley without completely erasing it and made it a little bit more more sort of like generalized sort of anti-authority establishment ideology and then like a lot of like really beautiful love songs and and it now sells like so somewhere around like a quarter of a million units like annually I mean that's the last number I saw and I think that was like in 2016 and even the, this is the funny part is that the it being a greatest hits album saw a deluxe reissue celebrating its 30th anniversary, which you see is usually only reserved for actual like studio album long players. Uh, and you know, it in many ways to people who are just casual listeners of reggae or maybe don't even really listen to any reggae at all probably know some of the songs on legend if not all of them and it defines it defines reggae for the it's it defines reggae for a lot of like casual listeners i think which is really interesting so it's it's like similar to the eagles in the set it crystallizes this this artist's career and his music but in a way that maybe he what he didn't intend yeah and and it functions it's also important to remember like it functions as an album like it spins really well it it's, right. it's really well sequenced like you listen to it Ends on an acoustic song. Ends on an acoustic song. Like it, it, like it works as an album. And I mean, I do think that that's a funny thing where it's kind of this intangible thing. But like the, it's not just the quality of the music, but like the quality of the curation and the best of album as a often curatorial experience. It can be really important, right? Like, like you're saying, Legend is an argument about who Bob Marley is as an artist and how to understand Bob Marley yeah. as an artist down to like the title right like the legend of bob marley creates this like uh like disassociated out of time out of place character for this music that's like miles apart from like the politically engaged like having to flee jamaica because like a a potentially politically motivated hit put out on him like all like he's a a deeply like a man of his time and place and this album he had a CIA file. I mean, but who didn't have a CIA file? Sure. <laughs> no, but you know, he's a, he's a man of his time and of his place and of like concerns. And this kind of says this 
it makes his career it means his career has no progression. It means his career didn't change. It makes an argument that his career didn't change over time. There's no chronology in it. It's like cut out of one fabric that is this is what Marley was. Um, and it's really only like tells like ha- like not even like a quarter of the story of like who he was as an artist. Yeah, but but I do think that that that's one of the reasons why it was so effective, right? That oh, yeah, one hundred percent. Because instead of yeah. trying to tell a story about change over time, it told a story about like a complete organic whole. And in some ways, that's what people were buying into, right? That this is a easily understood, non contradictory, smooth sailing like hedonistic sound and that even i feel like it's important like i think that if they had tracked legend chronologically so it starts with the whalers thing and so you could see any progression i think it wouldn't have worked the same way i think it wouldn't it wouldn't have been as effective because then it's like telling a story that you can ask questions about but it's hard to ask questions about like well, why did he add more guitars or why did he get a choir or why did like his political concerns change or like what albums or what albums are these songs taken from? But I think it also shows kind of speaking to your point, how sort of like this mass media industry in a, I don't know, like postmodern, like late capitalist era can like take an artist's life and music, even if he was like critical of that very system and like shape it, you know, shape it in a way and the sort of like underlying like rebellious spirit and kind of like soften to appeal to like a wider a wider audience while still like maintaining some like vague shadow image of their militant selves enough so that you can like sell buyers on also on the idea of rebellion but like without any ideology that was like very much heavily a part of Bob Marley's music and his life and it kind of reminds me of that you know that that you know that Nirvana song you know love all pretty so- love love all our pretty songs and love to sing along but doesn't know what it means and here it is like we see it completely reshaping and successfully if you want to look at it like an economic standpoint like Marley's entire career and you know it, it's also funny too and I'll just add this little point that you know if you want to look at like the Marley estate and their dealings in Jamaica and beyond in the last 20 years you know, they've kind of like, I think they've also kind of like learned from the success of Legend, have kind of followed the same formula, you know, at times as, you know, savvy business people under this sort of guise and message of this rebellious spirit or this anti, but like anti what? Well, you know, I don't know, the system, man, <laughs> quote unquote, you know, so it's, it's really, really, yeah. really fascinating. So I think the final greatest hits, that kind of category and album that we wanted to talk about a little bit was kind of like the classic career sum up yeah. greatest hits. Yeah. Um, Who are we doing? And pr- we're doing Queen, baby. Okay. All right. All right. Which Fat I, Bottom I, uh, Girls on that? Oh yeah, my favorite. Okay. <laughs> um, it's like a, it's, it's funny because I, I think we it's hard to understand like how big a hit this greatest hits was. Like, uh, I heard I read a line. I forget which music writer was saying, but like that uh, in 1982 in England any untitled cassette tape you would just assume was queen's greatest hits yeah like <laughs> every single car <laughs> i had love one. that that's great there's also a whole fantasy i read where like every cassette tape had a shelf life and over the period of that shelf life slowly turned into queen's greatest hits <laughs> so after two years after two years any unattended cassette tape would have transformed into Queen's Greatest Hits because that's the only way to account for how many copies of Queen's Greatest Hits on cassette tape there were. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think I feel like maybe similar to the Eagles, uh, you know, mid-career sort of spanning, Like you know, I feel like this 
this greatest hits has an interesting similarity as well where i feel like it really does take you through the sort of musical changes of the group but still does it in a way that's like understandable and like packed full of like hits opposed to queen full lengths and you know controversial are like you know like where where do you start if you like later queen or early queen or mid-career queen they, they change so much you know so why not just uh grab greatest hits volume one well, I mean, and that's the funny thing about Greatest Hits Volume 1 is that, like, so Queen has got like, multiple versions of Greatest Hits albums that have existed. They also had, like, three compilation albums of lesser-known Greatest Hits, where, like, if you're at the point where you've bought Queen's Not Greatest Hits Volume 3, it's like you could have just bought the album, sir or ma'am. Like, at yeah. that point, <laughs> I assume you have five Queen compilations, and they only have, like, eight or nine albums. Like, you could have... <laughs> You could have taken your chance, you know, um, you know, pay the ticket, taken the ride, and see if you like jazz or not at the opera. But what's weird about Queen's Greatest Hits, and this kind of goes back to that Irwine quote you said, is that Queen's Greatest Hits doesn't exist in that, this is mind-blowing, Queen's Greatest Hits is like very much like what it was. It is Queen's Greatest Hits, which meant that they did market research and released a different track list in every major market. So Queen's Greatest Hits released in Japan has different songs than Queen's Greatest Hits released in the US, which has different songs than Queen's Greatest Hits released released in the UK. The UK, I mean, so the, the first one is released in 1980. So um, they've got a couple hits after that, but the bulk of the really famous Queen songs have already been released. And it's funny, like the early ones that are kind of proggier were not hits in the US, but were hits in the UK. And like, there they are, tail end of the album, like Seven Seas of Rye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no ogre battle, but. Is that, uh, is that a Brian May cut? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's weird because in, this is like the opposite version of. It's, 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 it's almost the exact opposite of the Eagles' greatest hits or legend, where, like, those are saying, you've got a varied career and we're going to make a story about you. Queen is, like, in fact, I feel like the albums are often flow somewhat better, but, like, the what you get from Queen as, like, a radio listener is, like, is this all one band? Like, what what is happening? And the greatest the end of it, album, you got, like, synths like <laughs> oh yeah it, it, the greatest hits album is wild because like you don't get bored um because there is not like there's not more than two songs in any style and it's just it's like they're just like oh this is what these were the hits and here they are but it's really <laughs> interesting that you say that because it, it just shows like how much care and research that the, the record companies went into releasing this and i think having maybe we're like the eagles it was kind of searching for that identity really having an understanding of queen and how varied it was and therefore really taking a you know uh mil- a uh, precisional approach to to releasing it by choosing different track listings and different tracks depending on the market yeah and just also in some ways in, in a funny way like also i think reflects like queen conceptually also right where like queen is like we're the biggest most audacious band it's unclear exactly what we are, but like we're bigger than anything else. We're like we're this incredibly f- maximal. That's what yeah, we are. We were a maximalist, <laughs> like rock, pop, opera, keyboard, synth, a gay, straight, 
band remote the most of everything we've dialed everything up to yeah. 11 and so like yeah we've got a lot like we've got a lot of goddamn hits and like yeah they're all on this album and no you don't need to make sense of them because you know they're all queen. yeah yeah well to, to to wrap things up i got one question for you and you know i know we often do this here on on money for nothing uh look look into your crystal ball sam and think about what is this what is the state what does the future hold for these these greatest hit albums that we've just discussed and and of other ones because as i mentioned at the top of the show i, I don't think it's controversial to to say that you know spotify is definitely like the dominant listen the dominant listening platform at least here in the united states and to find even these greatest hits albums you need to scroll all the way down to the bottom of an artist page to the compilation section to even find the eagles greatest hits you know not one of the you know biggest selling albums of all time is at the bottom of their page and you're definitely going to pass by this is eagles and you're going to their top songs that are you know that are that are played on spotify and all that so so what becomes of this i mean i think i think it's interesting because with the with the disappearance of greatest hits albums you still have these let's call them classic greatest hits albums from these rock bands and other other styles of music and like you know what becomes of them like do do we do they do they like wane now wane in popularity now that everything's gone to streaming the one sentence story of the music industry 1985 to 2000 is that we realized we could make them buy it again yep yeah like that's 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 the narrative folks and they've not just realized that they've realized that for certain bands especially they're able to make them buy it again and again and again and again like one of the canniest things if you want to like check out how to survive um always look to the rolling stones because as a classic rock business like they are perhaps the canniest and i don't actually think it is a an accident that this mick jagger led corporation um (laughs) is one of the few major bands that doesn't have a definitive greatest hits albums that they have a series of changing greatest hits albums that have emerged over the years like you could almost you could almost say like when did you get into the rolling stones or when did you first listen to the rolling stones by like what was the greatest rolling stones greatest hits album when you started listening there was hot rocks volume one and volume two in the 70s i don't know what there was in the 80s when i first listened to the rolling stones it was 40 licks right Um, that was huge but there's been two or three more iterations in the decades since. Wow, I and no I idea. think that's because, yeah, currently the best greatest hits album, again, according to an, a review by Stephen Thomas Irwin, is, uh, the album, I think it's Grunt, is what it's called. <laughs> okay, never or, even no, heard of it. No, Grr. Okay. Grr. Grr. Uh, oh, no, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, okay. No, oh, but yeah, like, yeah. I, I think that for, for one thing, is that you realize you can constantly make them buy it again. And if there was a definitive one, people wouldn't buy the slightly new one. You wouldn't get anyone who would consider buying two copies of a Greatest Hits album. But in the streaming era, I think one of the things, if we're thinking about the lasting aesthetic potential of the Greatest Hits album, especially the statement Greatest Hits album, like Legend or the Eagles Greatest Hits volume one that we've been talking about, is this exact same kind of record industry machinery that allowed them to be such a cash cow also is now coming back to to, to undermine the the future of these albums, I think. Because if you go to the compilation of the Eagles, there's five. There's five greatest hits albums. And so, and because of Spotify's intentional decision to never, like, to have no editorial function in how it displays the music, right? 
often mislabeling when things came out. They're never in order because they want you to interact via playlist for reasons that you can check out in our episode about Spotify streaming, which is like a hashtag major mood. Means that 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 by the time you get to this, there's like all this detritus of of like greatest hits albums and it's actually very hard to figure out like what is the real best greatest hits album what's a good one what's a weird cash grab what's like a weird subsidiary especially for bands that bounce between labels you'll often have multiple greatest hits albums from different labels or different eras of the band and so given all that i mean for some of these bands i think that uh for some of these albums i think that, that the future i mean like yeah it's probably having your own compilation is probably better than, than some of the mess. I, see, I saw that with like Spoon and White Stripes. I, I, my original thought was like, I think this is like sort of a like desperate attempt. And I do say desperate because because the, both the Spoon and the White Stripes, as we've been talking about, they're, these greatest hits albums are at the bottom of their page. But some sort of like desperate attempt to sort of take back the narrative from the streaming services and the algorithm or what, and and really cultivate uh, a, a, under their own control how they want their career to be viewed yeah. and what they want the singles and the songs that are to be emphasized. But unfortunately, you know, it doesn't get filed under the album section of Spotify. It gets pushed all the way to the bottom, you know, no, that, that's, and I haven't, that's... I haven't seen what it looks like on Apple or the other places, but I mean, you know, it's, I really do feel like it is that attempt, an attempt to, to do that as well. No, that's such a good point. And, and it's something that I think that um, it, that's a way to kind of take this like greatest hits, the statement greatest hits and kind of put a forward thinking spin on them, which is that, I mean, for artists with this, these kinds of careers, like, like Spoon or, I don't know, Guided by Voices or, you know, The Strokes, which who will eventually release a greatest hits album, I'm sure. Guarantee it. Yeah. Um, that there is a thing where it is difficult that there's, there's real power, especially for artists who have had a kind of complicated journey. There's real power in their ability to say, this is what we were. This is what we sounded like. This is a summary of... How we want to be like viewed and remembered. And like This is how we want to be... And especially, I think, this is how we want to be viewed and remembered. But especially for, for artists where their career is a little bit complicated. Because I do think that bands that don't have a clear narrative or a clear trajectory it's really hard to figure out where to start listening to if you want to get further into them. And that introductory explanatory element of these greatest hits album, I think is really important and important not to undersell. And maybe these are not the greatest hits albums that are like huge sellers, but like, I don't know the misfits greatest hits album, right? Misfits have a weird career. Like they've got a first album and they've got some singles and, and like I still, and the band shifts and they do some hardcore stuff, but like die, 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 my darling is on that. And you probably want to hear that, but you don't probably want to hear the rest of earth AD or whatever. And, and it's, it's a career that has like changes in the band. And I've never fully understood it actually, but I really like the misfits because misfits collection volume one is like, this is a way to understand this band and it's it's not clear yeah, that and when the band has control over that narrative you know it, then it maybe allows a listener you know 5 10 15 20 years down the line after the band has broken up to you know okay do i want you know maybe not all casual listeners but a listener that actually really wants to understand and dive into a band's career and try to understand what they were doing it kind of allows them to at least seek out possibly that greatest hits or that compilation album that the band themselves put together because like let's think about um given the variety of ways that playlists let's say on spotify organized songs right where you've got this fascinating thing where because of autoplay suggestions like songs that were not major tracks 
by bands are now major, are now tracks. major tracks by bands. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe like that's all fine and good if you just want to get, you just want to listen to music, right? But I think that, and we've talked about this before, is that in both an exciting and potentially, you know, more, more historically minded, sometimes like worrying way that online listening and, and uh, playlist listening and algorithmic listening really can strip the context away from music. And that a band like Queen, right, that's super famous, that'll have songs and soundtracks, it could be like, I, without a greatest hits, I actually wouldn't know what Queen's greatest hits were besides four or five. There are songs that, like listening to that greatest hits album, there are songs that sold a ton of copies that I didn't even, had never figured out were Queen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were just like an FM radio song. And like having them all together was like, oh, these like, this gives me a better understanding of how this career functioned. And that without that, without the ability of artists to do that or bands management to do that, I do wonder like how a future band, how you would, you know, how, how they could be understood or the ways in which they could be misunderstood or the ways in which like it could be difficult without listening to all of the albums, how you could get a sense of like, what are the important parts and what are not the important parts? Because I mean, there's certainly there, there are artists where like, there's, there's been artists that I've done that you're faced by just, Oh, sorry. Like there are artists where you could just be faced by like, Oh shit. There are 30 albums. I don't know when Waylon Jennings was good. Like, <laughs> oh, how do I start listening to this? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could listen to the top five songs on the, the top, but like two of those are like weird. Like those are just the biggest played songs and are not necessarily the best songs or like these are hits for very, you know, this was in this soundtrack and that was in that soundtrack and that's why those two songs are hits but are not representative of the artist's catalog. And then beside that, you're just faced by this contextless, album noteless wasteland of like 45 things that are being reissued at different times and you're like, oh no, like uh, I'm going to listen to something I know about and like you back slowly off of the Spotify page. Yeah, I, I, I feel like also that there when a band doesn't have a greatest hits or has like a sort of confusing, very changing or like just enormous career, like you said, like, I, because I obviously am a music geek, like I, I will go ahead and put together a playlist of go through all the albums and put together a playlist of like basically my favorite wow. songs and kind of create my own greatest hits. I was doing this all last year to uh, Ariel Pink, who's now canceled. So so much for that but i was but i'm also doing it for <laughs> british john mouse but, no no yeah and also john mouse no 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 but i i'm also doing it for like uh judas priest another band that like was pretty much a straight rock and roll and by the end was like doing like you know uh crazy speed metal but uh yeah so i think i think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there uh go put together your greatest hit albums go listen to the eagles sing desperado and while you're doing that, please rate and review us. You've been listening to Money for Nothing. I'm Saxon Baird with Sandbagger as always. Music by Bird Language. And we'll catch you in two weeks' time. Thank you.